Hello and welcome to Import This, a podcast for humans. This is the special PyCon edition of Import This. I'm sitting here. It's the morning of PyCon 2018. Uh, it is currently Thursday morning and uh, registration. Um, we're about to go to registration and meet some Python people. I'm going to try to get some interviews with some Python folk and uh, hopefully it will go over well. And uh, I'm sitting here right now with John Mangino, a buddy of mine who works for a company I'm not sure if I'm allowed to disclose he works for Amazon uh, and he uh, traveled with me to PyCon and I'm not sure if he wants to say any words but here let me move my mic over hi John hello first PyCon very excited yes it's John's very first PyCon and uh, what what are your expectations intimidation no <laughs> uh, brilliant people and uh Learning. I mean, I'm excited to meet a lot of people that you kind of only see in the ether. So it's kind of like France. I've never been there. Does it really exist? So it's be cool to actually meet these people that whose tools I use and or whose podcasts I listen to or whose products I use. Yeah, yesterday on the drive down, we were uh, you were going through the hashtag of PyCon 2018, and there was. Um, uh, you were impressed by this guitar that you saw. It was it has the Zen of Python written all over it. Yeah. And then we got to the restaurant, and my buddy Mike Pernot was there, and he's the guitar guy, and he's the guy who's responsible for the Zen of Python guitar. He's it's going to be an auction item this year at the Pie Ladies auction, and uh, it was it was really funny because I was like, these are real people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really crazy to actually see these brilliant people. It's a little intimidating, but it's very exciting as well. And you've seen nothing yet, because you've met like three or four people I know. So far. I haven't even seen the real meat of the, the the conference yet, so... Yeah, so to anybody listening, this is what PyCon feels like before it begins, and uh, thanks for listening, and hopefully we'll get more interviews in. So this is part one of many, hopefully, and uh, thanks for listening. This is interview number three for Import This PyCon Podcast. I'm here with Aaron Broswell from the Center of Open Science. Yeah. Hi, Aaron. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so how's PyCon for you so far? Pretty good. Just got in last night. Yeah. Just uh, hanging out, checking out the scene. Haven't gone to anything yet, but I'm going to help out with the tutorial later today. Uh, which one? Uh, Shauna, my friend Shauna, is doing a Django intermediate tutorial. So you've done the basic tutorial, and now what? How do you get started beyond that? Is it like deployment and stuff like that? Yeah, it's more like... Like, so the basic tutorial stops at like pretty much class-based views and then doesn't go into anything else. Oh, that's pretty advanced. So yes, yeah, so we're gonna go more into like template tags and like oh. uh, what else? I don't remember. I read over the should probably read over the syllabus. <laughs> TA it, but I'm just gonna help answer any questions and uh, help with Git probably a little bit. Yeah. People haven't used that before, so Excellent. just Excellent. be there. Yeah. Cool. So what's your uh, what are you looking forward to the most to PyCon this week? I love what, what are your goals for PyCon? Just to learn as much as I possibly can because every year I I expect to learn a lot, but then I end up learning more uh, from like conversations that I have in like the hallway and like yeah. just talking to people afterwards and going to the posters and just just places I don't expect to learn things. I end up learning a lot, a lot. So I'm just looking forward to those unexpected moments of learning. Yeah, I always I did a. Uh, show last week before the conference just like a minute long and I was encouraging people to do the hallway track because it's I think the best uh, it's so true I didn't know I had I heard that phrase before and I didn't know what it was but until, until I came to PyCon I was like oh my gosh it's so true 
<laughs> it really is. Yeah. Being in the hallway is, is the place to be. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to take pe people's attention away from the speakers either. So I don't want to encourage them to do the hallway track. Yeah. I just wanted to offer it as a possibility. Exactly. Yeah. And the speakers are a good like rebounding point into the hallway track because then you can have something to talk about and then that'll lead into other yeah. things. And you're also a speaker this year, right? I am. For the first time, I am really nervous. Are you prepared? Yes. So prepared. So prepared. Yeah. Excellent. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. And you're going to be speaking about? Uh, turning data into music. So data sonification. Sonification. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That'll be exciting. And you're going to do, are you going to do a live demo? I am. I am. I have the first half of my talk is uh, slides and the second half is a Jupyter notebook Excellent. with live demo in it. That's going to be so, really exciting. Yeah, I think it should be good. Hopefully nothing will go wrong. Hopefully nothing will go wrong. It's involved <laughs> the internet, so that's good. Oh, so that's you have like, it all locally. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, I did originally have it because uh, I'm pulling files um, from the Kepler Space Telescope mm -hmm. to analyze and that was all coming from, coming from online because they have all their files online. Oh, you just have it cached locally though? I have it cached locally now. Just in case? Just in case. Yeah, Excellent. exactly. Cool. Well, thank you for joining. Is there anything else you want to say about PyCon before we uh, move on to the next interviewee? Uh, no, just that it's great and it totally changed my life. I was not a developer before I came to PyCon and then my second PyCon, I accidentally left the job offer. Excellent. Which was not expected. Oops. But I know, it was... And you still work there? Yeah, still work there. Excellent. It's good. Yeah. Well, it's, thank you for coming on and uh, I guess we'll, uh, yeah. we'll find who's next soon. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right, we're here at PyCon, and this I am joined today by uh, Kushal Das, who is a fellow member of the PSF board. Hi, Kushal. Hi. How are you today? I'm good, enjoying PyCon. Yes, it's our. Uh, we've been here for like an hour or two. I have. How long have you been here? Uh, already, I think this is the second day of the conference, and from Tuesday, so I'm from Monday night. So excellent. A long time. What? How? How is your experience so far? Uh, I already found the biggest problem of PyCon, which is like too many great ideas to work on. And I need really many more hours every day to actually work on these ideas. That's excellent. Like, too many ideas right now. Do you want to tell people what you do and what, what you work on? Uh, so, I... As for a job, I am actually working for Freedom of the Press Foundation, where we defend uh, adversarial journalism in the modern 21st century. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, mostly work on a free software project called SecureTrop, which is an open source whistleblower platform, which many news organizations deploy in their newsrooms, through which anyone can actually leak information securely to any, you know, those big news organizations. Now, are, uh, these, uh, are these leaks coming from a corporate environment usually, or from more governments? Uh, from both sides as we saw. Okay. Uh, like, and uh, other than that, I'm also involved in various other open source communities, including uh, Python. I'm one of the core developers of the C Python, and as you mentioned, part of PSF and many other free software things. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything you want to say about PyCon or encourage our listeners to come to PyCon? Uh, I... I think this is a life-changing event it was or it is still now for me like 2013 was my first PyCon first time in US uh, even though I was a complete newbie like uh, nobody knew me here I just found that's like it's my place yeah. everyone welcomed me without like even they did not care who I am where I am from I, yeah. and I was most welcome in the way I am and so I always ask people like try to make sure that you land in PyCon only for a few days if possible mm -hmm. and just to see the best part of the community like how you can enjoy learn together. Yeah. The Python community, I think, is one of the best software communities around, and in general, one of the best communities around. And PyCon is the apex of 
Python community. It's where we all come together, and it's uh, it's always a pleasure. It's the highlight of my year for sure, and I, it's it's always good to see you. Yeah, and like one thing I would particularly mention: if you are into you know like trying to get into the open source development or try to learn how to programming, you may want to try the last four days of PyCon, which is called the Development Sprints, and which is actually free for anyone to come in. So you really oh. don't need any registration or anything. You can just show up. Like there will be food, there will be internet. Four days of continuously sit down and hack on different so projects. So you don't need a ticket to go to the sprints. Yes, excellent. You don't need any tickets. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's, good. Good. that's good. Yeah, that's know. one of the big thing, and you will find almost most of the biggest uh, project names will be present, and they will try to help complete newbies to contribute to the project. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining, and uh, we'll have someone else on here shortly. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm joined here with Gary Bernhard of Destroy All Software fame. Hello, Gary. Hello. How are you? I am fantastic. I'm this, happy to be at PyCon. This is your which PyCon? Fifth? Seventh? Twentieth? Twelfth? Man, that's I might crazy. have missed one. I can't remember. <laughs> well, congratulations. Thanks. How does it feel? Uh, it's always good. What, what are you working on? What do you want to tell the world about? Uh, well, right now I'm working on Deconstruct, which is a conference that is 11 days away. So, oh, wow. Yeah, last minute prep. So you're like going straight from PyCon? Kind of to that. Yeah, yeah. Wow, good, well, good luck with that. <laughs> thank you. All right, well, we'll keep this interview short because your time is precious. Okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, we're here with our next interviewee on the second day of PyCon. This is Eddie Zanepsky, my new coworker at DigitalOcean. He's a developer evangelist, developer advocate. And uh, hi, Eddie. Hey, how are you doing, Kenneth? Fantastic. I'm excited to be part of the team, and uh, I'm here at the DigitalOcean booth. Oh, so how's your first PyCon? Oh, so my, my first PyCon's going pretty well, actually. It's, uh, it's a lot of people here. Yeah. Um, quite a lot of people. You know, people from... Python's a great tool because, you know, we can use it for data science and web development and, you know, everything. So I'm meeting people with, like, lots of different backgrounds and jobs, which is really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, and DigitalOcean is, a, is an interesting story in that because uh, Python's one of the... Uh, it's used quite a bit on the platform, right? Yeah. Yeah, we do have a bit of Python usage. Uh, we also do a ton of... Uh, Community content around Python. We just launched an ebook. Uh, so oh, there's an ebook on learning Python that came out from DigitalOcean. What's it called? Uh, not sure. Not sure, but okay. it has an ISBN number, which is actually really cool. Oh, excellent! Yeah. So it's an official book. Mm-hmm. I'll check that out. I'll, maybe I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Cool. Excellent. Well, this, there's people coming to the booth, so I'm going to keep this interview short. But thank you for joining. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> right. We are here with the next interviewee at PyCon 2018. This is very exciting. I am joined here with Jonan, I don't know how to say your last name, Scheffler? Scheffler, often Scheffler. pronounced Scheffler. Scheffler. Yeah. He is the dev advocate at Heroku, my favorite ex-employer. <laughs> <laughs> it's too soon, Kenneth. You can't make jokes like that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So mean. Uh, and Jonan is uh, one of my favorite people in the world, and I wanted to have him on the show. He just led a workshop on uh, Heroku 101. Yeah, we did a Heroku 101 workshop here. The sponsored workshop from Heroku was super fun, actually. Got a lot of good questions. Yeah, and uh, you're going to be doing something really interesting at the Heroku booth. Do you want to tell people about that? Yes, I do. We're going to be live streaming on Twitch some pair programming exercises. We're going to write Conway's Game of Life over and over again, and maybe even test it. Kenneth was helping me set up a my Python environment. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting stream because I don't <laughs> particularly know Python, but I did read half of a book about it yesterday, so I'm basically an expert. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, if I do this pairing session with you, it's going to be very frustrating and very... Uh, 
a, it'll be a learning experience for for me. Yes, to teach someone who doesn't know how to do a thing to do a thing. You mean like the part that I would, I don't know? No, frustrating for me because I like writing Conway's Game of Life would be like a, it's a type of thing I avoid writing. Oh yes, you know? okay, yeah, yeah. It sounds like it'll be challenging. It's kind of like a interview question sort of yeah game, but it's actually it's a it's a much easier game than people think. There are four very simple rules. It takes like three minutes to explain. And the point, of course, is not to finish or to win, make the best implementation. The point is just to code and talk about coding and have fun. And, of course, be embarrassed. And, of course, be embarrassed a little bit. I mean, I, I do shameful things on this stream. <laughs> what MAP does, it's awesome, actually. I think it's important for people to be fallible that way. It's good for the community to see people failing publicly that way. Yeah, that we're all Google things. Exactly, and, right? Yeah, we're all humans. That's wonderful. Um, so I know is this your this is not your first PyCon. This is your third third PyCon. Yeah, and your um, what's your favorite part about PyCon? You go to a lot of conferences. How does PyCon differentiate? So PyCon, I am primarily in the Ruby community. I've mostly been a Rubyist for yeah. a long time, but I'm now a Pythonista as well. As of yesterday. As of, <laughs> um, officially. Yes, thanks to half of a crash course in Python that I read on the plane. I, um, is that an O'Reilly book? Yeah, uh, no, it isn't actually. It's a uh, starch press, I think. Okay. Um, I also got the O'Reilly one. I did not get the correct one, I am told, which is learn Python the hard way. But I've been. Oh, uh, that's on a good one. That's a little too elementary for you, though. That's okay. if you've never written code at all. That's kind of what I was thinking, yeah. yeah. And so I went for something that would just kind of give me the syntax quickly. Yeah. Um, List comprehensions are amazing, by the way. Well done, Python. Yes. Um, Did you get to generators yet? No, but I... If you just use, uh, uh, instead of brackets around them, you use parens, it's a generator comprehension. I will immediately skip to that part of my book, because this sounds like something I need to know. Generators are the best part of Python. Okay. I am on my way to generators. I'll go study it You'll right now. You'll never want to write Ruby again once you Really? generators. Ooh, that is a Ruby big Ruby doesn't have generators. Okay. I have a lot of reasons to love Ruby. I, we don't have blocks, but you guys don't have generators. Well, then we have different tools for different purposes. That's true. How lovely. That's true. Um, you asked me a question, which was, what is my impression of the Python community? And it is excellent. I do go to a lot of conferences. I think I went to 22 events last year. Wow. And uh, the community in Python is unique among them. I think I the, the, the like warm welcome that I enjoy from strangers mm-hmm. in Python blows my mind every time I come. There are thousands of people at this conference, and I can walk up to an arbitrary group of people standing there talking about something, and they're my friends suddenly, and yeah. I'm in the conversation. And that's not common yeah. at all in software. I think it's common in the Ruby community as well. I think Ruby and Python both have the, the heart... Similar ethos. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love PyCon. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for joining. I hope that you enjoy your PyCon. And, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see who the next interviewee is soon. I absolutely will. I'll see you on the stream. Thanks. absolutely. Hello. This is uh, day one of PyCon, and I am here with uh, Nicholas and Rowan, who just gave their first PyCon talk ever. Very excited about that. Uh, Do you want to tell us about it? really interesting because it's the first conference um, I think either of us have ever been to. Yeah. Oh, really? And, and then we were presenting, so we didn't really know what to expect. Uh, but it was really cool. We we developed an open source tool with one of our professors at Allegheny College. Mm-hmm. It's called Gator Grader, and we used a tool suite, so we were working with 
um, GitHub Classroom, Travis CI, and then our tool to make an automated grading tool for professors, but it is geared towards helping students understand where they are in their code, writing better code. Oh, so it's for like grading that. code? Yes. Oh, in a sense. That's wonderful. Uh, so it's, it's for grading, it grades the code in, on a more formatting basis, and it kind of creates a clean repository. So what it is, it uses GitHub, like she said, it uses GitHub Classroom. So it, what it, it has like a suite for professors, kind of like one repository that they will make repositories on and then it'll spread out to the students which will create repositories for them individually. Yeah. So it kind of gives an individualized project per assignment. Okay. So professors can give starter code and lab assignments and then ship that to all of the students. And all the students have a fork of that repository? Yeah. Yeah, so it starts off as like a starter repository and then in the end it has that lab assignment name with their name at the end of it. Excellent. So when they push it, the professors don't have to search for all of the repositories because they're just all in that single classroom repository. Oh, I see. Yeah, and then um, the professors can set checks for, they can, it's completely configurable, but so, for example, if it's like an intro course and the professor, the target of the lab is conditional logic and they want them to use a certain amount of like if statements or they want a certain amount of output, they can write these checks and then with a command line argument, the students will run GatorGrader and it'll run the check style, GatorGrader, compile and run their code and it'll print out whether or not they're passing the checks, what checks they still have to pass, if there are any, oh, and it gives great. them, yeah, it helps them know where they are in their code, how much left they have to do. If they're it gives meeting them, the criteria that the yeah. professor set up. Exactly, out. exactly. It's kind of like a constant coach. Yeah. That's, that's uh, taking that from the student. <laughs> she said that, yeah. So if a student's getting bogged so down. as a service. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> if a student's getting bogged down and they're getting confused and frustrated, they have these checks to at least understand how far, not how far along, but if they're doing the correct things. So if they have enough like iteration in their programs, it'll tell them that. So at least they know they got that portion right and they can start focusing on other things instead of redoing everything that they did because they don't know what they did wrong. Yeah. That's great. So what do you think of your, this is your first PyCon, what do you think so far? I know you just gave your talk and it's really, it's probably all you've been focused on. But <laughs> is it, has it been a good experience so far? I think so. Uh, we actually spoke at the Education Summit. Oh, excellent. So we've been able to experience the first day of PyCon. And this is like your third day of PyCon now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Everyone is, I didn't know what to expect, but everyone's like so friendly and they all want to talk about code, which is our favorite thing. Yep. So it's it's cool. At our college, it's it's a liberal arts school, so uh-huh. most people aren't techie and they don't know anything about coding, so we don't really get to talk about it. Yeah. So it's a lot of fun being That's here. wonderful. Well, thank you for joining. And uh, is there anything you want to say to our listeners about uh, anything in particular? Honestly, I think kind of us just being here speaks to a sentiment that PyCon is amazing. It has so many of these open source projects and a community that people are able to have contact with and further their careers. Excellent. Yeah. Gives us a good opportunity. Yes. Everyone should come. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we're here at PyCon day one of the talks, and this is my first interview of the day. This is Andy Knight, who is going to be giving a talk on behavioral, behavior-driven behavior development at the conference. What's the name of the talk? It's called Behavior-Driven PyCon. 
behavior-driven Python. You want to tell us about the talk? Sure, absolutely. So I'm a test automation engineer. I do a lot of testing and automation. And in my talk, I'll be going over how to use the Behave framework. Uh, if you've heard of Cucumber or Gherkin, uh, given when then scenarios for tests, that's what I'll be sharing in my talk. Wonderful. I'm really excited to see that. And do you want to go over, kind of tell us a little bit about why someone would use uh, BDD as opposed to something like unit tests or integration tests? Sure, absolutely. Um, a framework like Behave or any other BDD framework is really, really nice for um, carefully and in plain language defining what your expected behaviors are and thus what your test cases are. Uh, when you have these given when then steps as well, they can be parameterized and reused by other scenarios. Now, as I was just talking with Kenneth here, uh, if you have a lot of steps, you can get to the point where you can actually automate tests without writing any automation code just by reusing the Gherkin. That sounds really nice. So you sound very passionate about this issue. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So is this your? What, this is not your first PyCon. This is my first PyCon. Oh, you don't have the first time attendee. They ran out of them because there's so many new people. Uh, I asked, but yeah, I'm really excited to be here the first time. Is it? What, what is your impression so far? Uh, so far, it's pretty awesome. I'm getting, just it's so cool to walk around, and see all the booths here. I'm really looking forward to. Uh, here in some of the talks and yeah i'm just having a great time excellent excellent well thank you for joining and uh, we'll have the next interviewee on soon great, thank you absolutely all right we are here at pycon and this is uh the fourth or fifth interview that i've done so far i'm here with a good friend of mine joel and i don't know how to pronounce your last name i i, I pronounce it franisich franisich he's at jf on twitter which is a very coveted twitter handle Congratulations on that. Yes. And uh, I know him back from his Twilio days. He's at Okta now. Yep. And uh, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a, a developer, evangelist, uh, programmer at ARMS, let's say. Uh, I really like thinking about code um, and thinking about how to make thinking about code easier. I think something I've been thinking about a lot lately is how can we make all software from all time available to any programmer instantly, which seems like... A, is the answer Docker? No, I don't think the answer is Docker, because Docker doesn't quite cover that, and you can't run a, you know old IBM 3600 code in Docker well, yet. So, I, apparently there was this announcement the other day by... I know if, I have a friend that works for um, Red Hat, Okay. there's something called, like... Uh, I can't remember the name, but it had vert in the name, like something vert, okay. like container vert, and it allows you to run a VM in a Docker container, <laughs> which seems like the inverse of what you'd want. Right, but right. If the intention is for like for you to update the kernel or something like that, independent of your host. Interesting. So I think it would open up the possibilities of what you're talking about. No, I think generally there's just tons of software. There's actually a science fiction book that kind of inspired me called uh, Fire Upon the Deep, and then the update is what I'm thinking about, the, a, a deepness in the sky, where one of the characters has a spaceship that is powered by thousands of years of code. Oh, cool. So he calls himself a programmer at arms, which I like as a term. Where he's, he's a programmer, but also like a historian where he has to dig through 100-year-old code and fix it, it and 
and update it or debug it, and it becomes oh. a plot point in the book. But it's it's amazing. What's this called again? It's called a deepness in the sky. I want to read this. It's I highly recommend it. It's actually like up there in one of like in, probably my, one of my top five all time favorite books. It's That's been great. it's been really interesting. Yeah. Um, so you're here at PyCon. Uh, you're you have you have booth duty, right? I booth duty. Yeah. And you're, you're representing Okta. That's right. Do you want to tell people what Okta is and what they do? Yeah. So um, Okta is a service that you can use if you've got a team of you know maybe more than fifty. What you'll find is once you have a, a team or a company that gets above a certain size, when someone joins your company or leaves, there's all this work you have to do around onboarding or offboarding, giving access, taking away access to all these services. Okta makes that really easy. So we use a bunch of technologies internally. People think of us traditionally as an SSO company, a way of doing single sign-on a bunch of, uh, across a bunch of services. You're a SAML provider? So we do SAML, we do OpenID Connect, we do WSFed, we do all these different types of things. But yeah, SAML is the core tech that most people use for doing single sign-on. Yeah. yeah. Which I think is a Salesforce. I think they were involved with the standardization of that. Yeah, Salesforce, Google. Um, this is SAML came out in 2004, and I first ran across it in 2004, learning about uh, Google Apps. So yeah. Google was using this for Google Apps. As I understand it, it was actually a, a standard that was kind of like maybe they're like I want to say between like four and ten competing standards for doing single sign-on. Yeah. That all met in the middle in SAML. And this was a. Is it out of a foundation? I. It's a. It's not a foundation. It's Oasis is the standards body. That okay. Did it. So. so uh, oh, it's even better than a foundation. I don't know. I mean, it's it's. I feel like a. And this is uh, perhaps controversial. I don't. SAML's not a great standard. Actually, okay. it, there's a lot of stuff that could have been done better. It was built for its era, but I feel like it's overly complex in a if, lot of ways. If you're that doing like uh, GitHub Enterprise, then you typically use SAML. You use SAML. SAML is just it's it's really hard to do right. Okay. So implementing SAML requires that you have an XML parser, which is a ton of work already. Yeah. An XML parser that has that that supports the XML DSIG standard, which is a oh, signature yeah. standard. Never heard of that. It's which it's it's really it's really cumbersome. So to verify way, that the XML is produced by who it was produced by? Yes. So the way that you normally do this is you take a binary document. The way you normally do signatures, you take a binary, you compute a checksum on that binary, you sign that checksum, and attach that separately. Yeah. In XML, using XML DSIG, you first canonicalize the XML, so you sort all the tags into a specific order uh-huh. and arrange them in a certain way so that any... So it's serializable. It's serializable, and then you sign it. Deterministically. Deterministically but it's like this weird determinism. You're not taking the, the, the string of XML bytes. You, you, par, you parse it first. You have to like take it in. If, if, the, or, uh, if the attributes in an XML tag are in the wrong order, you have to swap them. Uh-huh. If, you know, there's all these weird But this rules. is just for the signature. So just it's not, for the signature. It's not changing the actual document. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's I've never, probably unspecified. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, it's probably spe- I, who knows. And that's the thing. There's a lot of weird cases like this. So, and then you attach the signature into the XML document. So to validate a 
a SAML assertion, you actually have to strip out the signature from inside of the document and then do the canonicalization and then compute the checksum and then compare the hash. And not only that, the checksum can be done across only a small portion of the XML document. So you can sign a leaf oh, if wow. you want to. There's a single node. Yeah, and so there's just a lot of stuff. So what I like about the foundation-based standards is that it's usually community-driven. It's probably useful for Maven, right? Yeah, I mean, it's very, it's very XML. It's very XML. Right, but it's also, it's a, stand, it's, it's, a, it's a committee, I think of Perl. Perl is my first programming language, and the, one of the catchphrases, the, the Perl logo was a camel. Uh-huh. And uh, I think Larry Wall liked to say, a camel is a horse designed by committee. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell a lot of times these standards that were designed by committee have these weird undefined things where it becomes obvious that no one actually implemented this standard in more than one language. Yeah. Right? If you're doing, if you wrote SAML in Java, it works great because Java comes with all the stuff you need to do the canonicalization, the signing, and all that. Yeah, but if but you're if, working in Python or in Go or in, in Rust or in something else, like it is painful to do that kind of work. Yeah. Um, and that's what I love about since open source development has been, you know, gone mainstream, you have these bottom up standards designs where it's built like like requests, right? Like it's built for yourself and other people find that it's useful to them. And it's not this thing where you have a single person delivering this this completed product that you can either take or leave. You, you release a small thing, you're like, hey, this is useful for me. Yeah. And other people will say, this is useful for me too. Can you tweak it this light way? You're like, yes, I think that would make sense. No, that's not really in line with the vision, but it's this organic structure that grows with the community such that when I use requests, I don't have to read the docs anymore because like, I understand the core philosophy. It fits in your brain. It fits in my brain, yeah. right, which is a lot of the larger standards, especially pre-internet standards, are yeah. difficult like that because there was no way to build a community like that to grow this thing organically so that's why you have like X500 which was this early networking standard it's like it's awful even X, X11 the, the X window standards it's like three feet of books oh is it really? it's enormous I know the MIDI standard is like that as well yeah, yeah you have to like to get a real copy of it you have to like call this company right. and they like send it to yeah. you and it's this thick exactly. book and like they're like you really like they're, they're skeptical when you ask for it they're like right why do you need this? Yeah, because only, <laughs> the only other people who get it are hardware manufacturers. And yeah. I would guess, I've never looked at MIDI, but I would guess there's probably manufacturer-specific affordances in the standard. Probably. Because, it's probably an embarrassing document. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so that's what I love about a lot of these internet standards, where I like to compare mentally a HTML5 JavaScript book. You could probably get it about, you know, a half inch to an inch of book. Yeah. That would give you enough to develop a modern single page the good app. Parts. The good parts, right. Whereas to get that same level of, of functionality on an on an X X Windows app, you probably need at least, you know, a half a foot of book yeah, yeah. to do that. Because uh, there's just so much stuff that you have to learn about. It's hard to debug. It's hard to reason about. You can't fit it in your brain. Well, here's a question. Uh, Okta offers um, the SAML support and all these other open standards. Do they offer a proprietary, not proprietary, but do they have like their own, like, if we were to write this ourselves, this is how we would do it, API for doing that? Or is it kind of, is OpenID kind of that? OpenID Connect is what we focused on. Um, 
it's like if you're going to build an app yourself and integrate with Okta, is that the preferred provider? Open ID Connect, yeah, because okay. it's it's a it's comparatively it's a beautiful standard. I'm sure there. I mean, there are issues with it, just like any standard. But in comparison to it's a walk in the park, probably. What, yeah, when I think of SAML, I think about this big old barn that's been there for 20 years yeah. that you're trying to secure. How do you keep people from getting into your barn? Well, you know, they could dig under the dirt. They could take, a, a, you know, this loose board out of the way. One of the door locks doesn't work right. Versus when I think of OpenID Connect, it's like a, this, like, nicely built garden shed on a slab, right? There are vulnerabilities, but you know how to, we know where they are. You know how to address them. And, and it's it, been around for so long that those are well, it's well understood. to test for. Yeah, and, and, but it also takes into account, OpenID Connect takes into account modern apps, too. So it is built to work not only for web apps, which SAML only works for web apps, but OpenID Connect can also work with mobile apps, single-page apps, set-top boxes. Yeah. So it, it has, um, with OAuth and OpenID Connect, which is built on top of OAuth 2, you can address all the, you can secure all those different types of, of user interaction models. Yeah. Um, and does Okta work in any way where I can use it as a client if I have an existing SSO provider? Uh, explain a little bit more, probably, but explain more. Well, let's say I, I have uh, some kind of a federated system there. I, like I already, I say I'm an organization, yep. and I already have all my accounts set up somewhere. Like, yep. Yep. Let's say I'm running a fabricator instance. Sure. And it has its own uh, SSO support built into it. Oh, can yeah. I use Okta to augment that? Sure, sure. It it depends on what your use case looks like. Um, the terminology that is like used set up ACLs in addition to what the users are just providing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so as long as that software supports either OpenID Connect or SAML, yeah. um, you can use Okta to augment that. So what people will frequently use this for is for doing multi-factor authentication. Yeah. So uh, you might have a system that just supports SAML, which is fine. SAML's great, but you want to have extra assurance that the person who logged into your Okta tenant is who they say they are. Um, so you might say only grant access to this instance if they two-factor off. If they if, if they two-factor off. Yeah. At least every hour or at least once a day or you, you can add all these conditions or you can say if they are outside of the state that they normally if their IP address oh, wow. is outside of the state that they logged in from the last 10 times require MFA very cool you know all kinds of kind of things like that where you can now is, is the pricing for this product a per contract basis or is it very standardized so uh, historically we've been a per, per contract okay but, um, so it's like call sales basically yeah but with our acquisition of Stormpath um, and oh really yeah oh with, cool so we acquired Stormpath so you and Randall are co-workers we are now co-workers oh and um, with that acquisition we also brought with us that kind of pay as you go model so now we do have a developer instance and you have a host it's well, it's it's all it's all cloud stuff. There's there's no version of Okta you can run on your own instance. Oh, okay. But we do have a, a pay as you go type of model. So if you want pay per user, pay per per user. You pull out a credit card, use a credit card. So it's Storm, what's the story for Stormpath? Is it it is being deprecated? Stormpath has been deprecated. Okay. Um, the whole team has joined Okta, but with and them is it a migration path for Stormpath users to use um, one of their competitors or? So we do have we did have some competitors that you know people migrated to but yeah. the, the service shut down Stormpatch shut down I want to say like six months ago yeah I think I heard about that I just forgot yeah so we did have a migration path into Okta um, some people migrated to Okta others to competitors some just to their own systems I can't remember the, the name of the big one I wanted to use Stormpath on a project and I ended up using um, 
zero auth zero auth zero yeah, yeah. because it, it would just suit my needs much yep. better yeah yeah so they're, that's... they're two different products it was for um, say thanks that I okay yeah I, I yeah. just wanted to click login with github yep, yep. and that's not what stormcraft is for stormcraft is much more like you know federated yeah. user database and I, I just didn't need that so. yep 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 anyway so yeah, yeah, Auth0 is one of the, the competitors that some people went to. And well, it was a great acquisition. I'm glad you got Randall. He's a good friend of mine. Oh, I'm yeah. going to try to have him on the show later. Yeah, we should do that. Yeah. But. Cool. Well, thanks for joining. Is there a, do you, anything you want to say about PyCon or um, your experience at PyCon in the past? Or Oh, uh, Py, PyCon's, PyCon's one of my favorite conferences. Um, when I worked at Microsoft and at Twilio, I probably went to, you know, 100-plus conferences. And I actually, I have a blog post that I wrote about this. I think that conferences, I've noticed, can either have three main audiences. They can either be built for the people running the conference. Yeah. So you have, like, trade shows or kind of like this, where it's really to benefit the person renting the space. Yeah. You can have conferences made to benefit a sponsor, which would be, like, you know, a Salesforce conference or, you know, Java World or, yep. you know, one of the, you know, Google I.O. or Microsoft's build. Definitely. And then you have community-run conferences, which is like this one, where it's built for the attendees, by and for the attendees. And in my mind, volunteer run. Volunteer run, which oddly, even though Heroku's Wazaar was ostensibly to benefit Heroku, it had very much that feeling of it was built for me as an attendee. There weren't. It wasn't all just Heroku employees on the panel. It wasn't a sales pitch. It wasn't a sales pitch. I mean, it had the most epic opening I've ever seen in any conference. (laughs) Um, Did you go to the first one or the second one? I think it was the second one where they. I was. I I did the speaker selection. That that's right, and that's uh, I met uh, Jason Scott because of you. Oh, that's wonderful. That's right. Yeah, he's so, an important person for you to meet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, um, so that's why I love PyCon because it's built by and for the community. I meet all kinds of cool people. It it feels and it maybe sounds a little bit like uh, maybe my San Francisco hippie indoctrination is coming here, but it feels very much like there's a lot of love in the conference where people yes. here actually care about each other. They care about the community. They care just about what's happening, and um, I think it really shows. So that's why I love coming to Python, PyCon whenever I, I have a chance. Yeah, so this is yet another reason to come to PyCon if you're not here next year. Yes, please do. And if uh, this, the tickets always sell out early, so make sure to buy your tickets as soon as they're available because they, it sells out every year. Or get your company to, to a sponsor. Yes, that's always a good way to get a ticket as well. Yeah, indeed. Excellent. All right, well, uh, hopefully we'll get another uh, uh, interview here soon and uh, thanks for joining of course two dollar bill well i money but a two dollar bill I'm on my long journey home that's lovely yeah it's a nice instrument